RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. At RCR, we're on a mission to revive honest media, to report on critical censored stories, and to hold those in positions of power to account. But to make this happen, RCR needs to grow, and grow fast. For that, we need your support. Our Foundation Members Club is now open. Join us today and play your part in bringing back media you can trust. Learn more at www.realitycheck.radio forward slash members and see how you can join the mission that's making a difference. Katie Ashby Coppins joins me. Hi, Katie. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. How are you today, Paul? I'm good. I'm feeling good. I'm wondering, I have been wondering, and I've been looking forward to asking you how you're feeling after, you know what? Oh, I've got hope in my heart, Paul. I have yeah. to say, um, I'm super excited. Um, I feel that there is so many good things um, that have just happened in the last week. Uh, you know, after feeling a bit, uh, I, I think maybe just like, maybe I need to go back to the drawing board or, you know, do something else. But no, there's been some massive goals kicked and won in the last couple, uh, in the last week. So my heart is full. That's and really nice like to hear. Do you think we made, I mean, I know you behind the scenes and many others have been, you know, working away for a long time and that means something, but we've come along too since March RCR. Where, where do you see, you know, all that in, in the scheme of things, let's say. Such a good question because of course, a lot of that is so hard to analyze but I think, uh, you know, voices for freedoms, encouragement for people to have courageous conversations, uh, their drive to produce accurate information, you know, so you effectively become uh, a, a useful authority in the future because, you know, if you're right on this and then you possibly write on something else and then, you know, you build up your reputation that way despite the names that get thrown. And look, RCR came along when everyone was feeling absolutely forlorn uh, that any decent messaging was uh, able to get past the, you know, public interest journalist fund eco chamber. And um, it's, you know, it's no doubt, you know, allowed a lot of people to feel a lot more informed. It's given uh, ministers that were uh, not able to be uh, given any platform in mainstream media a platform. Uh, and so, you know, any news is good news. Yeah. As I've said a few times, we'll take it. We'll, we'll take yeah. it. We'll, we'll take it. That's All so right. true. Um, and, um, you know, um, we can look at some of the, um, okay, the wins um, uh, along the way. Uh, we can talk about some of the aspects of the coalition agreement. First up, though, a story just in, because this may be indicative of the winds of change, hmm. and that is uh, Andrew Shaw. He's been in TV for a long time. He used to present kids' shows back in the day, and now a New Zealand on-air board member, or was. He's tendering his resignation, Um because of the appropriateness of a social media post he shared in which he called Deputy Prime Minister Winston Peters malicious and the worst of this gang of thugs. So that's, okay, so that probably wasn't a good thing to tweet out or whatever he did. But uh, this is here now the, what do we call it, the um, the reaction <laughs> to the change. 
Yeah, or the consequence. Um, you've got to wonder, you know, were those words sufficient enough for him to tender his, resigna- his resignation on the back of it? Uh, I would suggest maybe not, uh, uh, but maybe it's just a good excuse for him to uh, get out of there because the public interest journalist funds dried up or it's not the narrative that he wishes to pursue. And this is exactly what we've been finding with uh, mainstream media and journalism over the last few years. They have just become uh, lapdogs, not watchdogs. And, you know, the landscape is changing because they've not done their own job and they're, they're to blame. The actual quote is Winston Peters attacks independence of media. He's not truthful. He's not accurate. He's malicious. And he's here on behalf of International Tobacco. He got that one in. His return is the worst of this gang of thugs. I mean, if you if you don't realize that the independence of media is in question, then you're on another planet, aren't you? Absolutely. And like, if we just break that sentence or sentences down, I don't know if he used a full stop, uh, no, that was me just running through it as quickly as possible. Yeah. That's so incredibly reflective of uh, either an ignorant situation or, you know, you could you could apply that to, you know, the, the other side or, you know, the other mainstream media so much easier than what you could to Winston's. And I dare say Winston would have the defense of truth if he tried to you know, take defamation claim. Okay, so they're pretty grumpy. Let's um, let's start on. Um, do, should we talk some some aspects of the coalition agreement? Do you want to do that first? Uh, we can do whichever you would like first. Um, well, it but, seems to follow yeah. on from from that little um, piece there. Yeah, no, it certainly does, and um, yeah, let's go. Okay, so where do you want to start on the inquiry? Yes, we can. We're actually starting at the bottom today, um, <laughs> Paul. Uh, let's start on the inquiry. So I thought that we could talk about a few aspects of the coalition agreement, the nature of the coalition agreement, how it works um, legally and uh, some of the steps that will need to um, occur. But, you know, we can't also really uh, rest on our laurels. It outlines what's to happen. We need to ensure those things happen. Uh, and we need to make sure that we're part of the process of those things happening uh, because we can't just uh, take off our jackets now and think that it's all done because it's definitely not. So, yeah, okay. let's have a chat about the inquiry. Okay. Is there anything in the in the wording and what's been said that, that means that it, it it's not as good as it sounds, let's say? Oh, good question. Look, I think that the coalition agreements are a win. Uh, for the minor or the smaller parties that needed to make up um, the coalition, uh, the there's some issues around the accuracy of the wording, but you've also got to remember it's just an agreement, so it doesn't necessarily have things in place uh, that need to happen. There's a lot of you know each bullet point in the coalition agreement, and what is it, 14 pages, just the national and New Zealand first one, has an enormous amount of work that has to occur essentially behind each bullet point. And so it's all well and good saying it, but you've got to be dealing with the bureaucrats uh, who have created a lot of these situations uh, because at the end of the day, I don't think ministers know everything that's uh, happening under their portfolios. Um, My trip to Canberra in August taught me very quickly that the place is so damn busy that most of the ministers don't even know what's happening under um, or in their own camp. So, uh, you know, it's... It's a yes minister driven 
uh, government style. It's a case of being super, super busy. Uh, and we just need to make sure that there is accountability all the way through. And then what these bullet points are that are stated occur and that, um, you know, it's done in a, in a d- democratic way. And I do feel that democracy is being returned with these docu- uh, with these agreements. So the complexity of a coalition agreement, uh, give us some sort of um, sense of that. Because it is essentially uh, an agreement or promises that each is going to uh, do or be allowed to do as a, uh, you know, because they've had to reach agreement to uh, bring each other on board. There's a lot of moving pieces. So let's just talk about the refocus on the curriculum, um, on academic achievement and not ideology. So you've got this very uh, broad concept. It's generally written in a, a bullet point. There's what, 25 words um, that says we're just going to cut out the gender ideology uh, from the school curriculums. And then that's all well and good, but there's an awful lot of moving pieces to happen behind that. You know, that needs to be actually removed and replaced from the curriculum. And it's already, you know, foisted and forced into the curriculum. I think schools even circulated, uh, you know, the curriculum uh, earlier this week uh, for next year, and it's got the gender ideology in there. So it will take time. It takes a lot of work. Uh, and there will need to be a lot of um, things happening. It's not just a case of passing a piece of legislation. It actually needs to filter down from uh, central government down to the schools. And, you know, there's a lot of moving pieces there to make that happen. There'll be an awareness, though, that things have now changed. I mean, for example, it's pretty obvious that, you know, Maori names of government departments are on the chopping block. So they'll be coming off letterheads probably already in anticipation. Surely in the education system, they know now that this is not really the direction that we're going in anymore. So you would expect the breaks to go on pretty quickly, even if the paperwork wasn't available, would you? Well, uh, I don't know. I don't know that you necessarily would. I think that there were a lot of teachers and schools uh, and boards that were very happy with this uh, gender uh, ideology messaging, and it might be hard to rip it out of the curriculum uh, because, you know, you've got the proponents and the promoters of it are the ones that are actually ch- uh, teaching the children. So, you know, it's all well and good to make a statement, but, you know, how that is passed through is going to be very interesting. And I think it's very important that our parents are on school boards, um, our parents, uh, you know, ensure that they know what's in the curriculum and are across what's in the curriculum and they know what's being taught to their children. Because, you know, for so long, and the reason why we are all in such the pickle that we are over the last four years is because we've just passed responsibilities on, you know, to the school or to the government or someone else will look after that. You know, no, they won't necessarily, and they won't necessarily do it in a way that you um, are cognizant with your views. So it's imperative that you remain and stay involved. International health regulations. Okay. Boy, where do we start on that? So um, what's the word, the terminology that's been used to kind of pause it? Yeah, really good question. Uh, So um, I have uh, pretty delighted about this one, Um, and there's been a lot of work behind the scenes, and we talked about the people's letter last week, 
Um, that was the people's letter that uh, we had drafted to, uh, or that was drafted to the WHO Director General, uh, indicating that on behalf of uh, New Zealand, uh, the people of New Zealand were rejecting the yep. uh, international health amendments that reduced time on the basis that we had no government. And look, I don't know if that was the pressure that did it, but certainly uh, uh, New Zealand First's team was aware of the issue and intentionally included a provision in the uh, coalition agreement that uh, dealt with the uh, international health regulation amendments on time that needed to be or need to be rejected by the 1st of December, um, so by the end of this week. And so that's really interesting. Um, I know that there was very clear articulation of the uh, uh, wording that was necessary to effectively reject those amendments, uh, but we do see a situation where the what ended up in the uh, coalition agreement was a softer peddling. So we've got a couple of interesting concepts there. We've got a reservation of the International Health Regulation Amendments, not a rejection. And the really curious thing there is, and I would suspect they didn't even have Crown more involved in this, you can't actually reject, uh, sorry, you can't actually reserve amendments. You can only reject amendments. You can reserve international health regulations if you're a country signing up for the first time. Right. But yep. you cannot uh, reserve amendments. Uh, there is a change in the proposed amendments that does allow you to reserve amendments, but that's not in the current binding international health regulations rules okay. for New Zealand at the moment. So uh, I think that the letter to the WHO Director General no longer needs to go. Uh, the letter from the people has been revised and has been addressed to um, our government, our, our new ministers, now that they've all been sworn in. And, uh, you know, a clear articulation and explanation as to why we can only reject the uh, Article 59 amendments reducing time as opposed to uh, reserving, which is not, it won't be legally effective. We've only got a day and a bit though, haven't we? Oh yeah, but it's just an email. Uh, and we've okay, got a pretty yeah, good but, promise. Yeah, There's yeah. been a lot going on since the uh, coalition agreement landed uh, on Friday to clarify that issue, we've received assurances that uh, the powers that be are aware of the issue um, and um, once sworn in that it will be uh, aptly and appropriately resolved. But in the meantime, I do encourage everyone to sign up to the People's Letter. Boy, that will that was a close run thing. Oh, of course it was a close one. <laughs> it was right down to the wire. It was, it was. But look, I mean, we've got a lot of very interesting things happening at the moment, um, just staying on the international health regulations, not just for um, New Zealand. We're also seeing some pretty interesting moves by various countries on those. So uh, just this week, and everyone seems to be leaving it to the last minute, uh, Slovakia's Prime Minister, uh, uh, Robert Fico, has promised to investigate the mistakes and human right abuses of the previous administration, uh, which okay. lands him squarely at the WHO. And I quote, as Prime Minister, I promise that my party will reject expanded powers for the WHO at the expense of national sovereignty. So, you know, 
Slovakia gone. Okay. And we, we can see that kind of language too in the coalition agreement, national sovereignty, maintaining it. There has to be natural interest tests. There's actually a, a you know a proposal outlined as to how these things will be dealt with and considered in the interests of um, New Zealand. And then and coupled with also yeah, there's Estonia. Yeah. As well. Yes. Go the Estonia. dominoes are falling. They really are. And from the work I'm doing on the WHO stuff with you know other countries around the world, there does suggest that there's at least 33 countries that are very, very unhappy. Uh, we've already seen 11 countries write to the UN and say, you're not following due process. The pandemic uh, declaration's a disaster. There was no engagement. You just stonewalled us. Uh, you know, 11 countries wrote, thwarted the adoption process there. Now we've got, um, you know, Slovakia, New Zealand, and now Estonia also rejecting uh, the amendments. And look, rejection does sound really dramatic and big, but it's not. It's it's simply a case of, you know, we can accept them in the future, the shorter timeframes, but let's just kick the can down the road for the moment uh, because we've got, at least 300 plus amendments coming in, in, in one document and an entirely new document coming and they don't arrive to, you know, January, two months after, you know, this time frame reduction needs to be rejected. So it's it's a lot of things happening. So based on the 33 countries that I'm aware of that are pretty unhappy with the processes, there might be some more uh, moving uh, to happen in this chess game uh, and, you know, it's like... We're seeing around the world some governments are getting in that have a very different messaging and perception than you know perhaps media or the former governments thought that they might have or be. Yeah, yeah, it's um like I say, very close run. Look, and, it is. Yeah, and it, it seems that uh, the more countries that kind of go this way, the more chance that even more countries would follow. Right. That yeah. Yeah. I mean, mass formation psychosis. <laughs> in the maybe. in the other way. <laughs> Going the other way. Uh, yeah. Look, I think that if enough countries hear about other countries rejecting it, then they might be scratching their heads. Uh, I've seen Australia has done a similar uh, process to the People's Letter in New Zealand. Uh, they've just launched that um, project yesterday or the day before. But theirs is even uh, more interesting. It looks like their situation is uh, the government has had a committee look at the amendments. They buried it into a report about Timor. That report got tabled in government. They you know, voted on the report based on the fact that it was headed up Timor, but buried in the, you know, uh, you know, basement of the document, that report, uh, there's this reference to the international health uh, amendments and let's just let those go through and tacit acceptance means that, you know, they'll become binding. So I think Australia's got uh, good grounds too. So they're adopting a process whereby they, the people of Australia are looking to reject on the basis that uh, there's been no due process followed by parliament. Yeah, um, I still have a suspicion that the the politicians and the bureaucracy think one thing, and the citizens are kind of thinking another. Wow, we saw that, didn't we, with the Voice in Australia? Um, you know, yeah, blinded red line fever. Um, they were almost rabid 
uh, of uh, the amount of money that was spent on on media and uh, companies pushing these agendas. You know, I'm sorry, Combank, you're just my bank. You don't need yeah. to virtue signal to me. I just want you to look after my money and not spend it. And perhaps maybe all that money you're spending, you could actually spend less of it so that, you know, your profits aren't quite as big. Yeah, fees aren't so high. Yeah, whatever. My fees aren't yeah. so as high. So, yeah, get out of my politics or get out of politics, quite frankly. So, look, I think when people speak um, and get the chance to speak, I think it's a very uh, uh, awakening moment for for the politicians. And yeah, well, they kind of refish in a way. They'll go the way that um, ultimately the public are going because that's what keeps them there, right, in the end. Oh. Absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, they're only there for a short period of time. The problem is, is you've got the public servants and the bureaucrats, which don't flip over or turn over every term. uh, And they're the ones that are, you know, the cogs in the machine and and, and making the machine operate. You've just got these, you know, ministers and um, MPs that are the face of it. Uh, And, you know, get thrown under the bus when it all goes wrong. But there's a huge machine that operates behind that and i think that's where uh a lot of the uh, positions uh, are taken and and run with legally can you kind of sack people just for for being the wrong type on the wrong side let's say because uh, you got to get the you got to clean house somehow right in the end yeah look i mean um legally uh places have restructurings Right. Yeah. There are ways of doing it, right? Yeah. Always doing. Government departments are fantastic at restructuring. They're about as good as restructuring as they are at changing their letterhead. Uh, And so. A bit uh, of that, too. (laughs) There's going to be a lot of that. Uh, And so it's really, um, it is really going to be interesting to see what the shakeouts, what the restructuring is. Uh, Terminating someone for. You know, having a different political view than you—that's clearly discrimination and not possible. Uh, but you know, you can do it following due process. Well, I'm thinking of someone like Trevor Mallard sitting there in Dublin as the High Commissioner or Ambassador, whatever the 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 uh, position is. Now, his boss, the Foreign Affairs Minister, is Winston Peters. He trespassed Peters off Parliament. Peters fought the um, the case, if I remember rightly. He did. He also blasted water at people, allowed the firing of sonic weapons at mothers and children and all sorts of other things. That's that's a sacking offence in my book. Oh, absolutely. And look, that's quite a different situation, I think. Um, I, yeah. And I'm just reflecting on it. You know, those positions are ones that uh, have uh, political importance but also have an air of public responsibility around yeah. them. And he should never have got that posting because of that behaviour. Um, it was another one of these people that have clipped the ticket on the way through. I'm sh- I'm really actually surprised he didn't get a sir um, or a yeah, good, yeah, maybe he didn't do quite enough. Maybe he didn't do quite enough. And so, you know, that posting is clearly indicative of the ticket that he clipped on the way through for his behaviour. Uh, but I really, really, really do not think that his behaviour will be one that would be respected and that he will maintain that role that he's in uh, because it is one that has, you know, a high... He, he represents New Zealand. Yeah, another person who's sort of indirectly representing New Zealand who did get the knighthood, you know who I'm talking about, he works for the WHO now. Mm. Um, that's nothing to do with us, I take it, per se. 
Ah, uh, we touched on this, I think, a couple of weeks ago, Paul. So, uh, uh, Ashley Bloomfield is the co-chair of the yep. uh, working group that's amending international health regulations. He shares that with a guy from Saudi Arabia, and you know uh, they are busily working away on on the amendments. I think they're really struggling from the reports. But you know we haven't seen a version of the amendments since seventeenth of December twenty. 22. So the version that we're circulating at the moment, the 307 that we call it, they are actually, uh, they are old. There's been at least five or six meetings since then. So we we don't know what we're going to see when they supposedly get delivered in uh, the middle of January. Uh, But, you know, he's working on those, but he's not working on those um, as behalf on behalf of New Zealand, and you know, there's been definitely communications that he sent to other people that says, "I'm not doing this for New Zealand. Um, I'm doing it this as um, you know a person engaged by the WHO." Do we say though, we're not doing, we're not communicating with you, WHO. We're not going to do any business with you while he's there. Oh, I, look, I don't know, um, Paul. My gut instinct says probably not. Um, right. Uh, you know, you'll get this response that you get from all the governments, which is a token template response that, you know, I think the WHO is written for every government because every response you get, if you write to anyone anywhere right. in the world, comes back with, it's a member-led state, uh, it's yeah. a member, yeah, member-state-led organisation. They have our best interests at heart. Of course they um, do, yeah. Yeah, yeah you know, never mind that you actually scratch a little bit off the surface and 80% of their funding comes from private public partnerships, yep, which is yep. just guys for uh, Bill and Melinda Gates uh, shoving a whole lot of money through um, you know, another country and saying that it's a donation from them. So, yeah. I'm just trying to think of ways to, to serve it up a bit, that's all. Um, oh, we, we found out also, just mentioning that this week, that Medsafe is funded over 80% by pharma over 80 percent yeah look really not surprising and again you know those conflicts of interest derive 12 million in the last year 12 million follow the money absolutely follow the money and you know these and we were talking about it last week how could they grant full approval uh of the by sorry of the monovalent vaccines when they haven't even completed their clinical trials. How can they grant full approval when they are on notice that these products satisfy the definition of genetically modified organism um, at law in New Zealand and that the products are both contaminated with uh, things that shouldn't be in there or things that they fail to filter out from the manufacturing process or that there's things that they've been adulterated with things that they've never actually even told the regulators about. And all of this stuff would be a $10 test that would take MedSafe an hour, yep. but they don't want to know because who pays them? So that would have to be part of a circling back, wide-ranging inquiry, wouldn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. I'm so super pumped about the inquiry. Um, I've been uh, reflecting on it quite a bit and have had uh, been involved in the drafting of the terms of reference for the Australian inquiry. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, this is 
and having been involved with the bushfires class action, uh, sorry, bushfires uh, Royal Commission in uh, Australia, goodness gracious, I dare say 12 years ago now, um, there is, you know, th- these can be very useful as long as the terms of reference are large enough. And so, you know, I've, I've, I've offered to support anyone or, or even prepare a, you know, template terms of reference for New Zealand. Uh, you know, we've been so involved in all of this. We've got amazing uh, experts that we've worked around the world with. They're independent. We would, you know, happily make introductions. Big legal cases are my ballywick. I love big trials. Um, I would, you know, love to be involved. This was made for case. you. Oh, it definitely was. Um, and but you know, doing what we're doing in Australia and then being able to replicate that in New Zealand and you know, essentially identify the gold standard of terms of reference for everything that needs to be covered. I want to talk about um, treaty issues regards coalition agreement as well in just a moment, but finishing up on this inquiry, having another bite at it, um, timeline. This, this has to be done in a timely fashion, doesn't it? While it's still, I don't know, hot um, in front of everybody, we, we can't let too much time slide, you reckon? Definitely not. Um, but these things do take time, and if they want to do it properly, there are a lot of people that have a lot of information available uh, that could bring a lot of this together very quickly. Uh, and, you know, it's the coalition agreement outlines, you know, what's intended and, and what the principles need to be, but making it happen is the next step. And I think we touched on that earlier about there's a lot of moving pieces to happen uh, with this. We've still got a. We've actually got a, a, a half-baked royal commission, um, or royal commission of inquiry already out there about COVID. What's going to happen to that? You know, they've already spent six months, I think, working on it with a report due um, uh, in the new year. Uh, don't quote me on that. It might actually not be available until September next year. Right. What do we do with that? Do we add to that? Do we expand their terms of reference? Do we keep those commissioners who were probably quite intentional appoint? appointments um, to the role of commissioner because of perhaps their persuasion and what they might find. But also they were so incredibly um, not contorted, they were almost throttled to the point that they actually couldn't consider anything of substance such that it was complete farce. Um, And whatever their report would come up with would only be one to um, uh, fluff Labor's feathers and their response. And not even just Labor's uh, feathers um, and response, but you know the politicians that were the key drivers of these decisions, and you know they they're the ones that will have to be accountable. Jacinda will need to be back for this. Bloomfield will need to be back for this, and they are duty bound to be back for it because they don't get to just you know, fly off to their new postings in Geneva and New um, New York and leave the country in the state that they have. Uh, and not answer to the people. I think we've already had, what was the inquiry last week or the week before uh, regarding Christchurch? There's some very key findings about facts and timing uh, and, you know, our former PM's absent. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I believe, I could be wrong, but uh, at least um, Ashley Bloomfield in his role and maybe the former Prime Minister as well, travel on diplomatic passports? Uh, they will. I'm um, based on my understanding of how that works. They will be. And you know, does, does that mean be, they can move about without being, you know, um, impeded in any way? 
Yes, and they have a diplomatic immunity as well, which I think is uh, it protects them. You know, there was one diplomat I think that ran over uh, somebody and killed them and was, years ago. I know, yeah. I know, I know the person who was killed actually. Yeah. Oh, do you? Oh gosh. Yeah. Former Sorry, Paul. Oh, really? Yeah, I think if you're thinking about the Eastern European diplomat in the Merck on the Wellington Motorway back in the late 70s, early 80s, yeah. yeah, I think that's the case you're referring to. It but is. They were immune. They, they're immune. The Correct. diplomatic immunity, yeah. Correct. And I think that, you know, that's still uh, to last. But it is question of whether or not the inquiry will go deeper. There is this concept of malfeasance in public office. It's a civil case. It's a tort and that actually goes to the uh, person, uh, that claim goes against the person, not their position or their role. So, you know, there is a lot to be, um, a lot to be explored and unpicked. Uh, and I don't think that the diplomatic community should extend um, or be offered uh, in the situation. And look, I think you've had a speaker on uh Reality Check Radio before, which just talked about how easy it was to cancel passports and things like that. Um, so, yeah, uh, yeah, we'll just have to see. We've got, we've finally got an opposition, and that will certainly help and make a massive difference. Um, and that opposition has has been sworn into office. I know we've sort of jumped all around the place, so we can't ignore the treaty issues part of this agreement and and what is being said. So is that potentially very awkward? Look, this one's particularly fascinating. Um, and someone's, I'm just going to talk about it from a legal perspective and how it might be um, dealt with. So we have a lot of uh, legislation which has uh, come out following uh, Haipoapua. Uh, we've got a lot of legislation which is very heavily reliant on Treaty of Waiting principles, which I think people's um, or are still not you know, properly articulated or maybe they're not clear, but there's been a huge preference to rely on them. Uh, I don't profess to uh, go too close to that, but we can see that this has been implemented to legislation. So how is it going to be removed from legislation um, if it's uh, to be removed from legislation? Or I think the words are to be considered um, comprehensive review of all legislation uh, that includes the Treaty of Waitangi and replace all such references with specific words relating to the relevance of the application of the treaty. So, you know, that can't just be a broad brush. I'm going to bring out the uh, act which, or the bill or the act that, you know, allows us to review all this. And it is actually going to require an awful lot of work by all the new ministers and all their little beavers that are going to go and look and pull apart the legislation and review it and then actually amend that legislation so that it makes it applicable to the treaty, not just, you know, stripping it because you can't just go through and uh, blanket strip it all. It actually requires something more, a consideration of how it applies to the treaty. So it's going to be really interesting. They're going to be busy. And that'll take a while, won't it? Look. Um, Everything else happening. <laughs> It might do, but, you know, we've got a lot of public servants down there. Um, we've got, you know, a lot of people that uh, write policy, that write legislation. Uh, it won't, you know, they'll send it off to a boffin and say, you know, this is your brief, have a look at this uh, and come back to me. And that will become 
probably in a minute from the minister, um, you know, applying the comments and putting it into action. Okay, yeah, a lot of uh, boffins are going to be really busy, really busy. They might be doing some work. Mm. Boy, there's a new thing. Okay, um, we're not too far away from time. Anything else that we should be looking at here on the uh, notes? I've got suspended nurse. Um, do we need to? Uh, are people are people still looking down the barrel of disciplinary charges and 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 the like? Even now? Yeah. Really? Yeah. It really beggars belief. Um, you know, we've got, uh, it, and, you know, this is perhaps a, a side of the, uh, who's employed at the medical boards and the councils and things like that, um, and the specialist councils for each of the medical Don't they realise the game is up, it's over? It's over? Look, they may all be surprised about the outcome of the election. There were a few people, apparently, Paul, that were surprised about the outcome of the election. But, um, yeah, look, uh, there's still people being prosecuted for comments that they made uh, concerning COVID uh, injectables. I'm still helping people regularly um, on uh, recrafting their conditions uh, because they've now got their practicing certificate back after not having it for two years because they were stripped of it. It's it's a prolific issue and, you know, it's created so much more uh, damage than the comments on Facebook raising yep. concerns about the COVID injections, which have invariably come true. Well, this uh, is the thing is what, what I'm thinking. It's like, it's like watching these, you know, um, Japanese soldiers, you know, stuck in the jungle, thinking the war's still on 20 years after it's finished. You know, it's kind of like seeing, watching that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, a, or a mouse on a treadmill. Yeah, ne never stopping. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, no, it's going to be really interesting. I haven't uh, seen in any of the uh, documents where, um, or the agreements that, you know, uh, shake up of the profession's um uh, the the professional bodies uh, has been mentioned, but clearly that will have to be something uh, uh, articulated in the terms of reference for the inquiry because we saw doctors persecuted for doing their job, for asking questions, for saying, I can't give informed consent in this situation and that is my uh, ethical, moral, legal obligation. And so it's 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 fascinating, um, and you know uh, we might have to dine out on the entrails of these professional boards because they have they have perpetrated a message and been terribly wrong and created more damage uh, in that persecution than you know that what whatever the doctors could have done. Yeah, and, when and the, it would, uh, maybe we need to find out where their funding comes from. Well, possibly gonna, similar to MedSafe. I was just going to say, and um, and and what sort of revolving door is there, and what is their tie up with some of the international organisations, uh, so on and so forth. Um, but in the end, it, it's the everyday people that just lose trust in everything. You and know, do they really want their profession to have? Zero trust with the public. Zero. In fact, less than zero. Yeah. And look, all I keep saying regularly is 
the last three years has created vaccine hesitancy and it's not the people that have said anything yeah. about it. Yeah, yeah that's It's right. those that have continued to force it down um, and mandated. It's the MedSafe that have now granted full approval to the monovalence. Um, you know, it's... That 80% is funded by pharma. Follow the money. It is so simple. And, and none of it. I talked to Peter McCullough, um, who um, was on just before us, and he said that, that all that was based on was was rats, like mm. a handful of rats. Oh, absolutely. You know, don't... You will have the heebie-jeebies when you start to look at the trials. It will oh. make you physically sick, but they have utilised the intrinsic trust that people have in their government and regulators, and, you know, they have just generated the biggest amount of hesitancy and distrust, and, you know, this is the reason we're seeing the governments change, um, you know, and this is why we need to have democracy. Now, there's a thought... All right. Um, I think we've um, had time. Wow. Okay. I don't think we even got through half of what we were supposed to. I know there's a lot there, but you know, there's so much, there's so much we're eager to like talk about that's just happened. Yeah. And it's like a, it's it's like a letting go kind of, you know, cathartic experience, just talking about it, you know, so good. So good. (laughs) And you know what, even if you haven't got the government that you voted for, uh, even if you've got um, concerns about this, this this is going to be the best thing for democracy and it will be a bringing back of, you know, what had, should have always been in place but has been so badly abused. And yep. so, you know, I know a lot of people are saying, oh, it's a disaster, uh, but it's really not because in our hearts of hearts we all believe in democracy, um, yep. you know, we are democratic people, and this is such a good sign that democracy will be returned. Because if we don't sort it out this way, I just hate to think what the other what the alternatives for trying to sort it out would be. Oh, it's it would be bloody. Hmm. You know, it really, really would because people aren't, can only get pushed so far. That's fortunately, right. we've been able to have election. Fortunately, we get to have them every three years, and you know what? We can vote them out. We can't vote out the WHO. No, that's true. <laughs> All right, Katie, that's a, a, a great legal hub chat. And and I think it was good just to sort of go through those issues. We won't pick over them forever. Oh, but, no, we uh, might do. Okay, well, <laughs> no. we, we, well, we've got a bit to run yet, I think. <laughs> no, look, Paul, we all have a duty to uh, ensure that the terms of the agreement, which were only bullet points of about 25 words per bullet point, are allowed to happen. And so, you know, they've outlined what they would like. Often you don't get that opportunity uh, when a new parliament comes in and we can hold them to account uh, and we can ensure this happens and we can ensure this happens and we can be very happy in doing so and knowing that we've got a document that we can return to and say, Hey, but you did say this in this at this time, um, and you know, follow through. Yeah, well, you know, in in our conversations with the New Zealand First people, particularly, I think in a in a nice, polite way, but uh, quite firm, we've tried to remind them of of the expectation that is there, and I think they get that. So, anyway, yeah. Katie Ashby Coppins, thanks for coming back on the Legal Hub. I look forward to catching up with you in person this week. 
and uh, we'll do it all again same time next week. All right? Thanks, Paul. Thanks, everybody. Have a wonderful Wednesday. Rational discussion, common sense, open debate. RCR, Reality Check Radio with Paul Brennan.